The Bread and Butter podcast acknowledges the Yagara people and the Turbal people as the traditional custodians of Mainjin, the lands on which we record today. We pay our respects to the Yagara and Turbal elders, past, present, and emerging. Did I say good? Did I get you into it one more time? Maybe just in case. Okay. Go. Bread and Better podcast. Bread and Better Podcast. I feel like I am. <clears throat> Bread and Better Podcast. Hi guys, welcome back to the Bread and Better Podcast. I'm Alex, I'm a writer and a producer. And I'm Tegan, an online lifestyle coach and chef. So today we are welcoming our first guest to the podcast, Emmy. Emmy is an extraordinary woman. She is a mother of two, a kidney transplant recipient, and a medal-winning Australian athlete. I'm also proud to call her my friend and the amazing photography and food styling talent behind the images in my most recent recipe book. So welcome to the Bread and Better podcast, Emmy. Thank you for having me. As you are our first guest and you haven't heard any episodes yet, as they aren't released at the time that we're recording right now, We will tell you a little bit more about the mission of our podcast and because I know you well, I know that this will be very aligned for you and therefore you are our perfect first guest. Uh, So the elevator pitch for the pod is that we aim to touch on different issues that affect women of our generation with a focus on mindset, health, fitness and the impact that we have on the next generation. So we have named ourselves Bread and Better because we aim to be very food positive And we aim to break down some big out-of-date ideas around food and movement. So examples, you shouldn't eat bread, carbs are bad for you, exercising is only for weight loss, just to give you a little snapshot. And our big goal is to set a better example for those that are influenced by us, hence the better. It's also a little bit funny because Alex is a celiac (laughs) and she can't eat real (laughs) bread. So that's a little in-joke of the pod. So with that in mind, we start each episode by sharing the best thing we ate in the past week. So we'll go first to give you a bit of time to think about yours. So what was yours, Alex? The best thing I ate this week was from Florence once again, and it was a matcha, 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 raspberry cookie. And it was kind of like an almond meal cookie. So it was like crunchy on the outside and chewy on the inside and it was incredible. I think I took about half an hour to eat it and, you know, I love a cookie, so it made me very happy. We've just had a meeting with um, Emmy at Florence and took some photos, so we've all got nice full bellies thanks to the cafe. Um, So I had a pretty tough time picking this week because I went to Adelaide and they do very good food in Adelaide, Mm. but mine is very aligned with the name of the pod So on the second day that we were there, we walked into town and we bought a really fresh loaf of sourdough and I was walking really fast back to the (laughs) house because I was really keen to get into it and it was still warm and I had it with some leftover quince paste and blue cheese from the day before and it was just like warm and melty on the cheese and it was... Despite having a full belly, I'm now salivating. I too am spoilt for choice because I just got back from a weekend in Byron. Nice. Uh, and I was out to dinner last night. But I think the highlight was my first eating of lobster out um, at Ray's. It felt very fancy, fancy. But it was just delicious. The lobster was there and there was layers of thin pasta underneath. It was a bit like a deconstructed lasagna. 
was rich and delicious, salty, but not too salty. So I feel like that was it. But can you have an extra? Yeah. yeah. Because this sourdough that we had before the meal came with this like whipped ricotta and some kind of like burnt honey. Yeah. So I feel like just the whole experience, Amazing. whole experience. But now I'm like still... Talking so about food. Much good food. Yeah, so much. Brekkie we had this morning was amazing too. That was that was on the short list. It was. So I think a logical place to start was to talk about how we met Emmy, and we met at F forty five. So would you like to tell us a little bit about how you, where you were in your kidney journey and your health and fitness journey when you started F forty five? Sure. Uh, so I actually entered kidney failure in 2018. I've had kidney issues my whole life, but in 2018, they completely went into kidney failure and I started dialysis. And just before I started dialysis, I saw a surgeon to get an AV fistula. And it's essentially something that they put in your arm, they connecting your vein and artery together to make your vein bigger so that you can do dialysis. And I had that surgery and the surgeon said, it would be really great if you could lose about five kilos. It'll just make you a better candidate for a transplant, not having extra weight. So if you could try and do something, which was really hard because I had no energy. Mm. So I started swimming at the local pool and it took me 30 minutes to swim 400 meters. And I was like exhausted. Like after every lap, I was like, (gasps) breathy, filled with fluid. So I was doing a fair bit of swimming for about six months or so in 2018. And then I started, uh, some of the mums from school had started at F45 and I went along with them. I still remember my first class. It was Anzac Day. There was an afternoon class on Anzac Day and I had come from a really big lunch (laughs) with my family and I was full and nervous, but I was like, I've just got to do this first class. It was a weights class because I was told start with a weights class. And I still remember like just not even knowing what a kettlebell was, like (laughs) no idea how to pick it up. And Tegan was one of the first people I met there and she was just so encouraging and there was no judgment there. Everyone was so welcoming. Everyone showed you how to lift the kettlebell properly. And yeah, I just started going more and more regularly. I did my first challenge and yeah, I I just loved that it was a community easy to go to. It was in and out, like you were in and out back home within the hour and it just fitted in with having kids and doing dialysis. It just sort of worked. So that's kind of how I started. I think I started with swimming, then went to F45 and then I actually signed up to the bridge to Brisbane that year in 2019. And that was the first time I'd run 10Ks since high school. And yeah, I loved it. And then after that, I was like, oh, what's next? And then I thought, oh, why don't I try a triathlon? And so it kind of progressed all the while I was still doing F45 and swimming, but I guess I just progressed along adding different challenges along the way. Wow. I love that you just went from running the Bridge to Brisbane to being like, oh, I might just try and do a triathlon. (laughs) That was what I was about to ask. (laughs) What appealed to you about triathlons? I think I I was always a runner in high school and I think I always wanted to do triathlons back then. And so I think when I saw that you could do like a mini triathlon, like when you say, how do you go from running? It wasn't like I went straight into an Ironman. I've never done a distance bigger than sprint distance, but I just started doing (laughs) it. That's true. Um, But I just started doing the smaller ones and I guess I just broke it down into manageable chunks. Like I knew I could swim 300 metres. I knew I could 
well, I hoped I could ride a bike for, I think the first one I did was actually only eight kilometers on a bike. And then I knew I could run two or two and a half Ks. So I think it was just trying to have an extra challenge for me personally, and just something to focus on that wasn't dialysis and wasn't waiting for a kidney transplant. So it sort of distracted me from that waiting period. So what was the the first triathlon? Was it a sprint triathlon? or No, it, called- it was actually through Triathlon Pink, yep. which I think is mostly a women's triathlon ones, but it was a triathlon pink. So there's people with like pink tutus and it was swam in a pool. So it wasn't oh. open water. It was just held at Chandler, which is close to Brisbane for those listening from afar. Um, It's a big complex. So everything was in the complex. And I borrowed a mountain bike from a friend. And one of my favorite videos I've ever made is like this video footage of me trying to ride that mountain bike. (laughs) And I just look like the biggest muppet. I'm so slow. I'm like pushing up the hill and then comparing it to where I am now. I still would say that I have a long way to go with the bike. It's my weakest leg in terms of confidence but um I just love seeing how far that progressed and I loved that triathlon and then I signed up like the next day for one of the Raby Bay which is like a local Queensland tri-series triathlon for a slightly bigger distance but still I had never done a sprint distance at that point. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more in the future but just tell the listeners what your latest achievement with triathlons has been. Sure in April this year April 2023 I represented Australia at the World Transplant Games. Uh, It was the first triathlon that they have done as part of the World Transplant Games. They've done virtual ones in the past, but this was the first proper try and I got a bronze medal. So, yes, it was very exciting. and amazing. Yeah, it was great. To compare from that day trying to ride the mountain bike to a bronze medal Yes, in Australian Games. That's amazing. Absolutely. And I should, there's actually, I've only got very small snippets of things in Perth, but there's a very cool scene where I'm like riding up, riding up the hill. And that was the first try I'd ever used like cleats and clipped my feet in and like the difference. It's, it's actually a cool progression to see that particularly because I'm like not in aero position by any means, but like, I just look a bit more like a cyclist. Look, I don't know what aero position is. That's that's like, you know, when you see cyclists like leaning down because they're like aerodynamic. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm always like, Look, normally I look like I'm like riding a bike in France with like <laughs> pastries kind of thing. But in that one, I was like a little bit more. Oh. I'm off to get my champagne. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm terrified of putting my feet into those. What did you say they were? Clips? Yeah. The, just the thought of falling off and being stuck in them. Like, so, yeah, so I, had, well. I, haven't, I hadn't used them. And yeah. then I think it was, I don't know, I'd have to look back, but it wasn't too soon before I was leaving for Perth and I had this moment. I was like, you're literally representing Australia in a triathlon. You have to clip in. Like you just have to do it. So I did it for the first time in my hallway and I was just like banging into the wall, (laughs) like into the concrete. I have footage. Did you get that on film? (laughs) I do. I did. And then I was like, finally got it. And so like I'd ride out of the hallway down into the living room and then I was like, okay, I'm going to do it on the grass. I'm going to go down. We're on like a main road. I've clipped in and I just didn't go anywhere and I've literally slow motion fell on myself, put wrist out. This truck driver's driven past. I could see him laughing. (laughs) And I I think I fell three to four times, like hard falling. And then I just had to be like, I can, which is, I've started this mantra of like, I can do hard things. And I was like, I can do hard things. And then I was like, so many people clip in. Yeah. You've just got to, you've actually just got to cycle. It's like a momentum thing. (laughs) And so then I finally got it. And yes, I did use them in Perth. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's 
that's an accomplishment in itself. I agree. I feel like we need a montage TikTok for our Instagram of you going from writing at Chandler <laughs> to practicing in your hallway to writing in I Perth. can do that. I will organise that for you. <laughs> I feel like you'd be good at that yeah. you're a photographer. <laughs> Speaking of endurance sports, my toenail just fell off. Oh, you're joking. Oh, big <laughs> little. Like just right now. Little, yeah, it's okay. Oh, like we're literally. Really, we're like right now. <laughs> we're going through some stuff. At the time of recording this, I have just been glutened myself and we're pausing for that in our Tegan's toenail. I reckon it's because you're wearing Crocs, mate. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with my Crocs. If you yeah, it's because they, it off. they finally had the freedom. <laughs> if, you had, if you had your Burks on, your toes, your, would, your toes would have been like... <laughs> Fine. It's the rubbing of the Crocs. So, listeners, I just got Crocs, and we might even do a little Instagram poll. Yeah, Crocs, cool or not? So, I was against Crocs <laughs> my whole life, but my very cool friend Erin and Georgia, and have, now Tegan, and now Tegan, <laughs> I was waiting. Sorry, for the this, end. this is just before you. This is just before you. Erin um, rocked up to school with them, and I'm like, yeah, they look pretty cool. But Kev saw me shopping online, and he's like, what the fuck are you doing? So, Rhett and Fraz were both like. Fraz is those are fucked. hell no. I was like, I was like, I don't think I would buy them because of Fraz. But and for those listening, Fraz is our friend that did the marathon with Tegan. We are very conscious of talking about people that people don't know. But I kind of want to see your toe. Do you want to see it or are you too I scared? I want to see it too. I just yeah. threw the toenail down there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's pretty fucked oh, up. I thought it'd be I'm just bleeding. looking under the table. It looks like there's already it's a bit of toenail growing. Oh, that's that's not that bad. Can we get a photo of this as well for the gram? No, that's, we'll do a content. It's warning. not Nobody that bad. It's not that bad at all. It's not that bad. Okay, oh, guys, I have those socks. Okay, we got to get back on <laughs> back on track. So to go back to the start. Can you tell us a little bit more about your kidney condition, when you found out you had it, when you found out that you were going to need a transplant, et cetera? Sure. So my so kidney disease is actually very common and you can actually lose up to 90% of your function and have no idea. And I I don't I had a kidney disease as a child and it's not impacted my life in the fact that I actually have I don't know an anything about it yeah so they're they're also quite resilient organs so they can kind of bounce back so you can have like acute issues or chronic ones mine actually started when I was born um I wasn't breathing and I didn't have a heartbeat and so in the time it took the doctors to resuscitate me my kidneys actually shut down um they didn't know like from the first onset that that was the case but when I was in intensive care because I was a little bit early as well, I started putting on lots of weight and my parents were like, oh, that's so great. She's putting on weight. And then the doctors were like, no, actually she's in kidney failure. Her, um, my body was holding fluid. So I was actually in kidney failure at a couple of days old, but then they managed to sort that out through medications. And then my kidneys, I guess, sort of became, they were scarred from that incident and they worked as one my whole life. So I feel like in some ways I was obviously very lucky to have survived that. They were always very concerned that there would be like brain issues, but so far there have not. (laughs) It also didn't affect me. I was very active at school. So I didn't really notice anything until after I had children. I still saw specialists. I saw a pediatrician until I was 18, twice or once a year. I had a kidney specialist, a nephrologist who I'd see every two years. And then once I turned 18, I saw every year. So in terms of me day to day, it never affected me. When we knew we were starting 
I think it was just before we got engaged, we'd seen my specialist and he was sort of saying, is children, are children something you are both thinking? And we said, yes. And they sort of said, well, probably don't wait too long because you don't know what your kidneys are going to do as you're getting older. So we we actually started trying for children before we got married because of that. And then we fortunately fell pregnant just after we got married. We were very grateful. Uh, and that's then when my kidneys, obviously pregnancy puts a huge pressure on all of you as a person carrying a baby. Um, and it's sort of just, it was a very fine balancing act between keeping baby safe, monitoring my kidney levels. So my first son, Oliver, was born at 34 weeks and then my kidneys sort of went back to how they were. And then when I had Isla, they were a bit, my kidneys were a bit more cheeky, I would say, in the second pregnancy. But I think that's also because I had no opportunity to rest because I was looking after a toddler. Mm. Um, And then Isla came at 32 weeks. My kidneys sort of went back. But then after that one, like every time I got sick, we got like a really bad um, parasite once randomly. Anytime I was on antibiotics, each of those little things, like my kidneys just took a hit. And I feel like once they get to a point, there's just like no going back. So um, yeah, then then we started to talk about needing dialysis, having a transplant. I think it was always in my mind that I knew one day I would need it. But I think I thought it would happen when I was like 50, yeah. not when I was in my early 30s, um, to the point that I didn't even really know what dialysis was. Like I hadn't looked into it. And so for those listening, if you don't know what dialysis is, because I didn't, and it was something something that I knew that I would need and I never looked into it. There's actually two types of dialysis. Um, I had hemodialysis, which I had in hospital. And essentially they create the fistula, which I'd mentioned before, and it's where they connect a vein and an artery together to make the vein bigger. And that's simply so that they can put needles in your arm. So there's two needles. Um, if you don't like needles, please block your ears for two seconds, but they're very thick needles. They're about the size of a toothpick. So they're quite large. They go into your arm and one is taking blood out and one is taking blood in. And it essentially goes through this big machine, a dialyzer, which acts like a kidney outside your body. And it literally filters your blood the way your kidneys would do, but it does it over a four to five hour period. So you just have to sit there in hospital sitting still while this machine goes round and round. And yeah, so then that's that's what dialysis is. And that's then eventually what I needed to have while I waited for a kidney transplant. Yeah. And how did what were the implications on your life to be doing dialysis? How often did you have to do it? And how did it affect your ability to show up as a parent? So when I I think all mums would agree that we are just generally permanently tired. Mm -hmm. So I guess I didn't notice as my kidneys got worse that it was actually the kidney failure making me tired more than say being a (laughs) mum was. Mm -hmm. So when I started dialysis, it wasn't instant. Like I didn't instantly feel better. I remember them saying it would take about 10 sessions and I think it was around eight or nine that I was like, oh, wow, I have so much more energy. And I just like I would wake up generally feeling a bit more awake. I only did dialysis twice a week. So I was very, very lucky. Most people are at least three times a week, some people four or more, but they started me at twice a week because the kids were very young when I started dialysis and just to make that easier to be away from them because it's four hours on the machine. But you've got to get there earlier. I've got to yeah. get hooked up. 
and then you've got to come off and hold to make sure that like you don't bleed yeah. out everywhere. Especially because it's an artery. It, except, exactly. And I have a very high flow. So sometimes it would take me 20 minutes of holding it to stop. So that all adds up. And then, um, so yeah, I was very, very lucky. It definitely dialysis 100% impacted my life because I had to organize people to pick kids up from kindy, rearrange things so that I could see something at the school, change my dialysis time. It was very impactful, but obviously incredibly grateful because I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have dialysis. But yeah, it wasn't always great. Like sometimes, because the other thing that they do when they're filtering your blood is they're actually removing fluid because when you're in kidney failure, you retain a lot of fluid. Um, There's a lot of dietary restrictions you need to go on to try and limit that, but you still, I could sometimes put on three kilos of fluid between dialysis sessions. So then they would try and take that fluid off. But if they took it off too fast, you would like essentially crash. Your blood pressure gets so low and then you're almost like a dehydrated state. So then the next day after a session like that, you'd wake up and you just would not want to get out of bed. And there were definitely days where I was like, I can't get out of bed today. And then that's actually, I think, heading into when I started exercising more. Like there was probably a couple of months when I started dialysis where I couldn't actually do much because I was just trying to work it all out. But after about three months, I started swimming and again. And I think just once I had this mentality of if I can actually physically get out of bed, then I can do something active today. And if it was like one of those days where I couldn't, I was just very gentle with myself and went, well, today... Today's the day that I just actually have to rest. But if I can physically get out of bed, then there's no excuse. Wow. I like know you and I know you've always come across as a very positive and very grateful person. How were there times that you struggled with your mindset during dialysis and on the days that you were feeling really low? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, so I was on dialysis for 26 months while I was waiting for a kidney transplant. Um, I actually got my first call for a kidney transplant within a few months of being on dialysis. Unfortunately, that wasn't a great match, but I think it gave me a false sense of how long I would be on dialysis for. I also then, everyone knows what happened in 2020. So (laughs) I'd been on dialysis and then COVID happened. That's probably when I struggled the most mindset-wise because they actually stopped kidney transplants during a period of COVID because the hospitals couldn't, I guess, manage the load of that. So there was a period when there were no kidney transplants happening in Queensland hospitals. That was definitely a real mindset struggle Mm. because that was obviously something that was always in the back of my mind that would one day happen and would one day help. And so to know that at that period of time, there were no transplants and there were literally organs that could have been a match. I found that definitely a very big mindset challenge. And then also like, I guess I had moments of where I questioned my own more, like, am I actually going to survive this? A lot of people can have issues on dialysis. You can actually end up getting very sick. People pass away. This is essentially why having a transplant is a better long-term outcome than staying on dialysis. Because whilst I did very well on dialysis and I was very active, that's quite an anomaly to happen. I think it's probably because my kidney issues were something from birth. They weren't something that, I guess they weren't something genetic that had other issues. Some people have diabetes, high blood pressure. I guess a lot of people that I came across had other things besides kidney failure. So I think I was lucky 
You're that, just and, dealing with that yeah, one Yeah, and thing. I do feel like I handled dialysis really well. But, yeah, I definitely had moments where I would be really sad that I hadn't got a transplant and just worried that I wasn't actually going to be there to see the kids grow up. I yeah. think that was probably the biggest thing. Like, And I did sometimes share those things. I remember there was one time during COVID when it was that crazy, crazy lockdown and it was, I think, the first people who like snuck across from mm. New South Wales and then we went into some other I can't remember, but we went into some other snap lockdown or something yeah. happened and I remember being so upset and I I, I shared that on Instagram because I was, I guess it was that was that time when I felt like you don't realise but your actions are really impacting people who are not healthy and I know it's annoying for everyone to wear masks but you're literally keeping people like me safe yeah. and so I did have... I did have those moments, but at the same time, lockdown for me with the kids was like one of my favourite times. Me too. <laughs> I loved it. Like, because I think I felt like I was getting back time that I had lost with them. And because I was at a period on dialysis where I was fairly not, obviously I wasn't healthy. I was in chronic like kidney failure, but I was fairly stable with what levels I was at. And so it was just this time where I could like soak in. We did, we pulled them from school earlier and just the homeschool and lockdown experience for me was beautiful because it was just this little bubble of us. So, yeah. I love that. And I love your ability to pull a positive out of a really <laughs> negative situation. Yeah, absolutely. She's That's... got lucky girl syndrome. <laughs> you, you, yeah, it's very inspirational. Can I ask from like you've just touched on going through those ideas, you know, those thoughts of mortality and being there for the kids. Did you get any help with that and with accepting an organ of someone else's? Like did you see a psychologist or a counsellor? That like- is a great question. I actually did, but I actually saw that pre it all happening. Yeah. So I started seeing a psychologist after my second pregnancy because I had a lot of postnatal anxiety and And then as my kidneys were getting worse, the postnatal anxiety then started to turn into like pre-kidney failure anxiety and just like how that was going to work with the kids. So I actually did a lot of pre-work on my mental health and my mindset well before I started dialysis. So I actually feel like that's probably why the starting, there was so much acceptance for me and I was fairly positive from the start because I had done like a prehab on my mind. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I often do think that that really, really did help. And I think I actually don't remember when I stopped seeing my psychologist, but I think it was around that time because I just kind of felt like I had a handle on that. I yeah. didn't have a lot of health anxieties when I started dialysis. And, yeah, I think it's that prehab Yeah, I think situation. that's really in- important to do that work on like obviously you've got a lot going on with your body but on yeah. your mind to oh absolutely because those they're big things yeah and they're things that across. you can't actually control yeah. and I think that well I know speaking for myself with anxiety a lot of that comes from like control or not control and so I think really that having acceptance of like I can't actually control how this is happening but I can control how I think about it and like there were definitely like I'd said earlier times where it was really hard and I think back to before, so I, I'm happy to share photos as well, but when my fistula had gone in, the first time the surgery had failed and I was really self-conscious about having this fistula on my arm because they can get quite big. But it was once that had started and I realised that that was actually the 
thing that was enabling me to stay alive. It's just like so much shifted. Yeah. It was like it doesn't matter what it looks like because it's actually keeping me alive. And I think that there was so many of those mindset shifts when I went through that journey because I think back when I was like so sad about this like tiny little bruise on my arm, I just still hadn't quite got it that like dialysis, it was actually keeping me alive and meaning that I could be a mum and meaning that I would be able to stay healthy enough to get the transplant. So yeah, just those shifts constantly happening. Yeah. Do you also think that that's something that drove you to do the triathlons and get really fit because you couldn't, couldn't, like it was a sense of control? Absolutely. um, 100%. And I think it was like having those goals. It's like if I haven't had the transplant by this point, I've got something to work towards. And that's actually then I signed up for my first sprint triathlon, which was meant to be in 2020 because they had stopped transplants. They said the wait list could be blah, blah, blah. I actually had this moment. I was like, I don't care. Fuck it. I'm not hanging around waiting for the phone to call. And I signed up for a sprint triathlon and I did this very intensive block. I felt like it was the fittest I had ever been at that time, especially as an adult. And I didn't take my phone when we went for beach walks, all those sorts of things. And that weekend that I was meant to do my first print triathlon was when I actually got the call for my transplant. So um, yeah, it was just, it was. And everyone's like, you're actually training for the transplant. Like it kind <laughs> of, um, and there was lots of jokes in hospitals from the surgeons. I'm like, oh, we don't normally cut into abs because I had great abs <laughs> at the time. Um, but yeah, I think I was genuinely so fit and I just, I used that to focus on. And also I think I was very aggressive in the way I trained, which I can talk about later, but I feel like there was a bit of a, like, I don't care if like I get injured or something because I'm going through something so much worse. So I kind of just like, I feel like I threw my body into it in a very aggressive way, but that was, I think a coping mechanism and just like probably why I didn't have super, super dark moments all the time because I was letting out that aggression and anger at F45 and into my training. How Um, funny is it? And it's a little bit woo-woo, but the universe is like, oh, she thinks she's training for this. (laughs) But But really, she's training for the big dance. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, like, it obviously helped. Like, I was very strong um, post-transplant. Like, I was walking straight away. I did unfortunately (laughs) break my foot uh, three weeks after my transplant at hospital, oh. walking from one part to the other on this seed, rolled my ankle, broke my foot. Um, and so that did impact that getting back into things. But again, the woo-woo thing, <laughs> I do feel it was like the universe saying, you are supposed to be recovering from a major operation mm. and your body Chill. has a new organ in it. Like you will don't. You, will you please <laughs> rest? Like you don't please. have to get back to F45 <laughs> right now. But I did go back. I, I was in my boot. Yeah. And I swam and like I just didn't use my legs. So I did go back, but I do think it was in some ways a blessing that that happened because it did make me be like, okay, chill. And also it brought to light bone density issues, which were a side effect of dialysis. So I think that's probably better to know sooner. Yeah. Mm. Started some new medication for that. So yeah. And can I ask, how does it affect you now that you've got the new organ? Do you still have to go to regular appointments? Does it, are you still affected? Yeah. So it's very, look, it's just very different. Obviously my kidney, I'm so lucky my kidney is working. It's actually working better than my kidney, my native kidneys 
were my whole life. You do actually keep your native kidneys. So I actually have three kidneys. Oh, which, wow. No, oh, I know. Oh, that's so interesting. Very cool. And they, they also like the term native kidneys. <laughs> yes, yes, they're my native kidneys. Yes. Um, but they actually put the transplanted kidney in the front. Okay. Right. Which is why... You may see me at F45 not lying on the boxes because it's actually not the most comfortable thing. So I would say, obviously, I have way more energy. Like I actually did not realise how, I still don't know how I was functioning at that level because like you don't know until it starts working. And my kidney did, it was called a sleepy kidney. It took a little oh, bit of time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I think my, I remember my sister-in-law suggested that, like, I played, like, the Wake Up Jeff song and things. <laughs> like, but, yeah, it was a sleepy kidney, so it took a little bit of time. But then once it kicked in, the difference was just amazing. But with a transplantation, you have to take immune um, suppressant medication for the rest of your life. And that's essentially because once you stop taking those, your body will see the transplanted kidney or the transplanted organ as something foreign in oh. your body and it will start to attack it. Yeah. So, right. so they deliberately want to keep your immune system down so it doesn't cotton on to that. Yes, but it, it's this fine balance, right, because if your immune system gets too low, then you're going to constantly get sick. Mm. So, yes, in terms of regular checkups at the start, when you're discharged from hospital, you're going back every day depending on your levels, then it spreads out to like every second day, then like once a week. I'm at once, I was uh, once every four weeks. My specialist I've seen my entire life, so he actually has just retired. Oh, no. um, but it's okay, I'm seeing his son. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yes, it's amazing, I love it. But I've only seen him twice, so we're now doing, I think, about every five to six weeks, um, and that just involves having a blood test and then seeing them check results. But one thing that that, why that blood test is so important, obviously it's to check your kidney levels, but one of the medications that I take, it's a really fine, one of the immune suppressant medications, it's a really fine balance. If it's, if it's too low, then your kidney is going to go into rejection. But if the levels are too high, it start, it's like neuro, it's toxic on your kidney. So it starts attacking the kidney. So yeah. it's a really fine balance. So Yes, obviously can do so many things post-transplant that I never thought possible and just the long-term outcomes are incredible. But there are definitely side effects, medication side effects that I guess you have to be aware of. And interestingly for me, just how I was talking before about like throwing myself into exercise, I have found that really hard post-transplant. I don't have the same mentality because there's actually no aggression because I'm just like have so much gratitude to have a kidney transplant that I want to do whatever I can to protect it. And I used to love smashing out burpees and just like, like I did. I love, mm, yeah. hate a burpee, hate it. Uh, I've never known None. anyone that enjoys a burpee. <laughs> no, but see, I previously, like I did this podcast with these Sydney ladies, Women Like You yes. podcast. And I think I spoke on that podcast about loving burpees. And I remember Gabby was, was like, who loves burpees? Like, I just would like to say, I don't love them now. Like, <laughs> Like I've cha- I've changed how I want to exercise. It's like exercising for like making me feel like just abundant and like there's just so much gratitude. So it's been a real shift and it's taking, it's still taking time because in the lead up to the World Transplant Games, obviously I needed to find some of that drive and like some of that competitive yeah. pushing, but it's pushing from a different place. It's like not pushing from anger 
It's it's been it's more a, big, a celebration yeah. of what your body yeah. can do now. Yeah, but also still a little bit holding back. Yeah, yeah. Because definitely. I'm like, you know, Being I don't careful. Yeah, like definitely. it's still it's not even three years yet since I've had the transplant. So it's still just like it's very fresh. I obviously want to look after it. Um so yeah. So yeah. before we go on and talk about the games, which we're very excited to mm. talk about, this is probably a perfect opportunity to talk about organ donation and how important it is. So Emmy's currently um, working with Donate Life and she's going to be on a bus somewhere. We're just <laughs> waiting for her to be spotted. Um, but would you like to talk a little bit more on that? Emma? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I will. I am on a bus somewhere. So um, I actually just shared on Instagram this morning that we should do a like, where's Emmy? So if you see yes. me in the wild and it's safe to do so when you're not driving, take a photo because I'd love to see. But it, it literally takes one minute in Australia to register to be an organ donor and I will make sure that we pop that registration link in the show notes. But it's also in um, my bio. It's really easy. You can just Google register to be an organ donor. You just need your Medicare card. It's super simple. But um, one, one person who becomes a donor can save up to seven lives and it's just phenomenal to me that... Uh, that's that that really tough time in someone's life like the absolute excruciating time that someone must be going through to find out that their loved one is no longer able to be here that that family has then made the decision to go but we're going to donate their organs and tissues and maybe someone else will continue to live like to me it's like there's just no other more beautiful thing than to have this it's your most difficult time getting that phone call to say your loved one isn't going to make it. And then on the other end, someone is getting a phone call to be like, mm-hmm. we've found a match for you. And yeah. and meeting, obviously during COVID and after my transplant, I didn't get to meet a lot of organ recipients. But at the games, I've got to meet other organ recipients. And some people have just been so so sick before they got their transplants I feel sometimes I have this moment like I feel like like almost like I'm not a real person who got a transplant because I wasn't you know it wasn't impacting you as much as it was yeah like there were people in intensive care there were people who were literally days from dying hours from dying and then they've got a new heart or a new liver or lungs and a heart and so and of all ages like You know, there was incredible stories of young children. Or, like it's just the the ripple effect of organ donation is just huge because that's the thing that I've been given a kidney, but it's not just my life that has been impacted. It's like my kids now know that they have a mum. My husband has me. Like I'm getting a bit emotional. Um, but it's it right. is. We're, we're, we're three episodes in and we're two from three. Cheers. I cried last time. I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> but like it, it is this ripple effect. And I actually felt it with like also like with my mum. Like my parents obviously knew that I had had kidney issues my whole life. And I think it wasn't until I became a parent myself that I realised how much that would have been a weight on their shoulders. Mm. And like even though I was an adult but then to see me be sick and to not be able to do anything about it, just I felt a shift in her when I had that transplant. It was almost like she could have this moment of like letting. She could breathe. Breathe, yeah. Mm. And like that's a long time. Like Mm, I think I was was 35 when I got my transplant. So that's 35 years of her life where I think 
there was just that added weight. She was just on edge. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, just the ripple effect of organ donation is just, it's incredible. And the thing that I think is important to share is that you also need to talk to your family about your wishes because you might register to be an organ donor. But if you haven't told your family that, they might they might not know. And so then they might say no. And I, it's the, the process of actually getting an organ, it's it's not everyone who passes away is eligible to donate organs. It has to be under the right circumstances and in intensive care for it to happen. So if someone passes away at their home, they're not going to be eligible for organ donation. Um, so, yeah, I think it's that it's just I guess it's important that as many people as possible can register for organ donation because that will give yeah, more people an opportunity to have a second chance of life. And it's incredible. In one minute, you can register and someone else will have a lifetime. And I think it's important to note, and I think the older generation think that they're registered on their driver's license or something, but they need to go and fill it out online. Is that right? It is. I feel like South Australia, there's one state or territory that it is still on their driver's license, but yes, everyone else, you do. Just Just check. Just check. Check because your one minute could save someone that you love or someone that they love. How did you feel when you got the call? Oh, strangely, I was calm. I mean, I feel like you can tell from this podcast that I'm a highly excitable person. (laughs) But we were away at the Sunshine Coast and both kids had come into bed, which happens, and my Garmin actually started Ringing. Ringing because I have mine connected. And I saw that it was my doctor's name and I was like, oh, my God, it's like five in the morning. This is it. So, so you knew when you when I the knew phone was that ringing? that's why he was calling, and so I answered the phone. I was very calm. Greg was my husband was kind of stirring, and I was like, uh huh, okay. And he was sort of from memory, he was saying stuff like, "We found a match. We're just waiting to find out. You know, they have to do extra tests. We'll call you." And I was like, "We're at the sunny coast. Is that fine?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah. You'll have plenty of time. I'll call you back, but you know, start to get some things ready." And so then like Greg's waking up and I was like, it's him. He called like we're getting a kidney. And Greg was kind of like, he's normally the calm one. He was a bit like, I'd say he was like, oh, you know, like he was really, I think, nervous. I was like, I'm just going to have a shower and like, you know, on the way home, I was like, let's just get the kids Maccas for breakfast on the way. Like I was very casual. I was very calm. And I think it's because I was consciously calm because I know that I can get anxious. But uh, I remember someone who followed me had shared a story that one of their friends went for a transplant and their heart rate was so high that it like delayed the process because they were so anxious. So I think I was really, really trying to just like focus on breathing and stay calm because I didn't want something like the fact that I was like, oh. Yeah, you're like, I need to be calm. Yeah, like I need this to work. I want this to work. And then when I went into hospital, it was during one of the many lockdowns. So I had to be by myself. And that was, I was like, oh, this is so boring. Like waiting, there's just like so much waiting. So then that's when I started to like really, I was like, I'm just going to document as much as I can. That was also more just to keep me company because I was just felt so isolated in that process. And how amazing is it to now have that footage to be able to look back on? Yeah, it's so great. And like, that's actually when I look at that Whilst I was like quite in inverted commas small and fit, I also did look sick, which I didn't feel at the time. But when I look back at that, like my skin was a different colour. My eyes were like, I don't know, I could just 
when I look at that, I'm like, oh yeah, you don't look, you don't look healthy. Like you can tell. Yeah, totally. I can tell like the difference in your complexion now. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But um, even just like waiting at hospital, you still, I still didn't know if it was going to go ahead. Like there's still so many things that can happen. Like they can, the kidney might get damaged when it's being removed from the donor or something could happen. So mm. I had to do lots of tests. Like I could have something wrong with me. Like if I had COVID, it wasn't going to go ahead. So, um, yeah, there were lots of things. Was there a part of you that was just trying to not focus on the fact that it couldn't? I was like manifesting, like this is, this is going to be it. And and then like it got postponed till the morning of, but I was like, no, like this is right. Like, and I remember the surgeon saying like, I've just, I've done too many surgeries. I'm tired. Like, please go home, (laughs) please go home and have a sleep and we'll start fresh in the morning. I remember waking up and I was just very, I was ready for it. Like I was ready to have this a is foreign for me. thing. Yeah, this Bring is. It. Yeah. yeah. And even post-transplant, I actually got quite bad stomach after the transplant, which is not great trying to go to the toilet when you've had major abdominal surgery and you've mm. got tubes and wires. And But so did the other lady who had the left kidney. So I had the right kidney. So we actually got put in the same room together and we were like the kidney matches. But I remember her she seemed like really upset that it wasn't going to work. And I just kept saying, no, this has to work. This has, I need us to be positive. Like I was kind of like, I need the whole room to be positive. And I remember listening to something on like Spotify. It was like high vibration sort of thing. Cause I was like, I was like, I really just needed it to take. And because it was slow to take and it was a sleepy kidney, there was always that in my mind. And whenever I'd have bloods every day, the levels would come like come down, which means getting better. And I remember being like, oh, that's good. And the doctors would be like, you know, it's still a long way to go. Like, we still need to be take a really conservative approach. And I was kind of like, no, no, but this is good. And so when it got to a certain point, they were like, okay, now you can be as excited as you yeah. have been. So, um, and I've been really very lucky, very grateful that so far it seems to be a really fantastic match for my body, which is great. Do you have contact with the other lady? That got the other kidney. Yeah, we we still speak every now and then. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, it's great. It's amazing to see her. Like it was actually her second transplantation, um, so it's a bit more of a complicated surgery because of antibodies that you've built up from the first transplant that you've had. But yeah, it's lovely to see her doing so well as well. And so I'm like the righty, and she was the lefty. Love um, that. Yeah, so it was really great. It's really cute. Yeah. So next, we're going to talk about your experience going to the World Transplant Games. So how did that all come about? That actually came about when I was on dialysis. So I had never heard about the World Transplant Games. And the last one pre-COVID was in 2019 in Newcastle in the UK. And I was sitting in my dialysis chair, like, flicking between like Netflix and scrolling and I was going to ask you what you were doing to uh, kill that time Netflix Um, my dad gave me his noise cancelling headphones which were amazing the only problem with that is I never knew how loud I was laughing at things (laughs) so I still remember one day one of my favorite nurses Betty came over and she's like um you need to tone down the laughing and I was like what do you mean she's like everyone in the whole unit can hear you and I was like oh my god so yes Netflix and scrolling Instagram scrolling. You monster with yeah. your laugh. I know. Horrible, <laughs> horrible loud. How dare you laugh? But um, How dare you bring you into the sad place? <laughs> I feel like it was just really loud. Like it was, I was watching Obnoxious. something, you know, something like just 
silly comedy sort yeah. of things. But um, so yes, I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw this Transplant Australia thing and I was like, what is this? There's an organisation. So I started looking at Transplant Australia and they're this incredible not-for-profit that, you know, works with organ recipients, organ donors as well, organ donor families. And I loved that they had this like sport focus. And I was like, wow, this is fascinating. And then I saw about the World Transplant Games. And I remember texting Greg being like, oh my God, I might get to represent Australia. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, there's this thing called the Transplant Games. And if you've had a transplant, you can go. And then there's Australian Games. And with the Australian Games, you don't even have to have had a transplant. Like if you're on dialysis, you can go. And so that was in my head. I was like, going to do the Aussie games. I'm going to do swimming and triathlon. Like I was just, it was like just this extra cool thing that I was like never knew and yeah. I'd never heard of. Then obviously the Aussie games got cancelled because of COVID. So this World Transplant Games was the first game since the 2019 games. And I was just so excited that it was in Australia. It was in Perth. So I, I'd actually signed up I, w- I was like absolute like geek to sign on, but like as soon as registrations opened and you could have expressions of interest, I was like logging on, <laughs> making sure I put everything down because I was just so excited. Yeah. And it was more just I was also excited that I would get to meet other recipients who were doing active things. I obviously through Instagram had come across different people Um one of my favourite swimmers, Gillian Best in Canada. I had come across her on Instagram and I was like, that's so amazing that you can like swim like with transplants. And then another one of my favourite triathletes, Kate Phillips, I'd come across her. I was like, oh, my God, you're doing triathlons and you've had like a double lung and a heart transplant. So I think I was just, yeah, she's amazing. So many people like have had heart and lung and are just doing these incredible things. When you think about heart and lungs being the biggest thing that affects your cardio yeah. fitness. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, wow, that's really it's inspirational. And it was just so inspirational. And so I was just super excited at that point to just meet other organ donation recipients and just have that connection because I felt like I'd had a lot of connection through Instagram, which was fantastic, but I was looking forward to real life. Yeah, and so... I, you know, I obviously started training, started going to swim squad. Then we actually went on a big holiday um, in a vintage caravan around Queensland and I tried to keep up some training. Like I did little random country runs and there's not a lot of pools open in outback Queensland in winter. So I did, you know, one or two swims, but I had a bit of a break. And then when I got back um, towards the end of last year, I really just really tried to focus on what I wanted to do and really broke my training down. I genuinely didn't think that I would have a inverted commas, like podium success at the games, especially I decided to focus a lot on swimming just because I did have some bone density issues. I knew that it was going to be not impacting me to increase that swimming. But um, I had never done a swimming competition ever. I actually did a lot of running with Tegan. We, we had our weekly run, which we I we loved. loved um, but yeah, the, I really did a lot of swimming training because I had signed up for swimming events as well as the triathlon. So I'd signed up for the 50, 100, 200 and 400 meter free. So I had this moment, I think it was probably January this year where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing a lot of swimming events. I really need to up that swim training. So I started swimming where my kids swim at Element, which are incredible, and also at the local tri-club, Karina Tri-Club. And I just really threw myself 
into like swim squad training, which is actually so exhausting. I never knew swimming could be so hard, but I would like just waking up at like 4.20 in the mornings so that I could eat before squad, have it digest, have enough energy to do the day. But yeah, I just threw myself into training and really like I think that became like a big focus. I wasn't doing as much work. I was really fortunate that I could just almost be like a full-time athlete. Like I really just had to get up and eat, train, get the kids ready. Then during the day I'd get ready for another session. So I was doing sometimes three sessions a day and I'm so fortunate that I was able to have that time. But yeah, going to Perth, I was so nervous. Like if you ask any of the swim team on that first day, I was like, I almost couldn't speak. I had no idea what to expect. And it wasn't that I was, I didn't think that I was going to do like get a medal at all. I just didn't conceive that. But I just, for myself, I wanted to swim well and I wanted to do a PB. So I think I just had all this internal pressure. And I guess anyone who has been a swimmer will know that if you are stressed, you are not relaxed and that will really impact your swimming. So my very first race was the 200 meter freestyle. And I honestly thought I was having a cardiac arrest in that race. Didn't you almost do like a 50-meter PB or something? In yeah, the first I did. 50 I did meters? do a 50 at that time what I thought was a PB. Too um, hard. And Too then hard. yeah, I did. And then I think at the hundred meters, I did one tumble turn at the 50. And then at the hundred meters, I literally there's like a moment I paused because I was like, I don't even know if I can swim another hundred meters. Like that's how, that's how exhausted <laughs> I was. And it was literally, it was probably like a split second. But I had all the other like, you just got to keep going. But it was honestly the hardest 200 meters of my life. But it was a huge PB. So it kind of makes sense. Then we had, I had a bit of a break, and then I had the hundred meter. Um, heat, which I then made the final for. And I had this moment in that time, I then got selected by the four by 50 women's freestyle. And I was like, I don't know if I can swim. I don't know if I can swim another hundred meters. Cause I was so in my head, I had so much pressure and Mikey and Ross, who were the like swim team captains were like, you were swimming like kilometers per week. Like you can and swim. And then you would come and run with me. <laughs> yeah. You can swim a hundred meters. Yeah, like you can totally. do this kind of thing. So like did that, did a huge PB in the hundred. And then we did the 50 free. And at that point I realized I was like, before that, I was like, we have a chance of getting a medal here. I have to swim as hard and as hard as and as hard as I can swim. And um, I unfortunately lost a really close friend um, from bowel cancer. And she was someone who would share our exercise journey with Nicole, Nicole Cooper. She's just incredible. And she inspired me to do a lot of exercise. We sort of would always message each other. She was exercising when she was going through chemo and it was that 50 meters freestyle was was for her and I wish I could actually remember the time I did but it was 36 point something seconds which was huge for me like I'd never cracked 40 seconds so it was over five second pb over 50 meters and which I, is a huge pb for anyone huge, that swims huge or you can I, swim or- I have never swum so hard in my entire life. I think I was still like <gasps> breathing like when the fourth swimmer had got out of the pool. Like it Which was, swimmer were you? I was number one. First swimmer. Thank God because that relay change, I was so nervous about that relay change. Oh, yeah, you know, I think that <gasps> being the last one, that's oh. that's so much pressure. But you got to get a run off to a good start. Oh, and so I, I was is, very happy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we got bronze in the relay and I was just like even now I'm like, 
like you can't see me, but I'm like jumping because that's how I was. I just never thought that I was going to get a medal at the World Transplant Games for Australia, like never in my wildest dreams. And then what happened? So then the next day I was just so much more relaxed because I was like, I've got a medal. I even dance. Like I do a lot like silly dancing on Insta. I did like a dance out the front of the studio. I was just like a different person. First race was the 400 meter freestyle. Which had been your jam in Yeah, training. it had. I'd loved it. I'd been doing PBs. I was trying to crack under the eight minutes. I don't, I have to, I don't think I'd even got there. I had just, You were yeah, doing pretty no, regularly PBs. Yes, I And had. you were saying to me that you were worried that you'd peak. Yes, I did. I had said that. And I was like, nah. Nah. <laughs> so I think my goal time for the games was seven minutes 30 for the 400 metres. Yeah, anyway, it was just the wildest race. And I'm just like literally closing my eyes, like <laughs> remembering what it felt like. But I was so nervous because it was also the same distance like I spoke earlier that I started swimming at. So like it was a special distance to oh, me yeah, really because symbolic. 400 metres used to take me 30 minutes and now I wanted to do it in seven minutes 30. So it was kind of this like, I guess, proving to myself how far I'd come. And anyway, huge race. I I was, they kind of, we were spread out across the pool, but I was next to um, an incredible British swimmer, Louise, and we were swimming together and I could see her, uh, she actually had also told me she only breathes from one side. So I knew that I didn't know which 50 she was seeing me, but I knew 150 she wasn't, <laughs> but I could see her everywhere. So I was always just kind of like hanging out behind her, trying to not go too hard, but trying to go hard enough that I felt I was going to get a PB. I decided straight up, I think I did one tumble and I realized I'm just not ready to tumble turn. Like I was just too much breath, out of breath, was losing losing rhythm. So I just was like, I'm just going to tap and really focus on pushing off the wall. Anyway, I was always just behind her, like just behind her, just behind her. And in the final hundred, when I pushed off the wall, I was kind of had this moment where I was like, no, 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 I'm in this with her. Like, just keep picking up the pace, like pick up the pace. And then it was I had this moment of realizing I am right there with her. Now, I didn't know what anyone else was doing, but I knew that she was like the fastest seated in the race. So I knew that I had to like kind of just keep going. Mm. And so I was just trying to get a bit faster, a bit faster. I did a lot of practice on pace in squad. So I knew that I could push it. And one thing, we actually had a sports psychologist who Mm. spoke with us at one of the Aussie training camps. And he said to like, visualize yourself. So I would often visualize the end of a race and I'd always have this, I am a strong finisher. I am a strong finisher. And in that final tap, she was tumbling. It was just on, like it was on. And I had no idea where this came from, but it was, I was swimming the fastest I've felt I'd ever swum, but I also just felt really strong. And I could see every, cause I was going so fast. I was down to like every second stroke, but I could see on the sidelines, like all the Aussie team and Ross and Mikey, the ca- ca- captains, like, come on, come on. And like everyone <laughs> do that weird swimming everyone's, thing. Yeah. Everyone's like moving their hand <laughs> in this direction. And I was like, you have, you are a strong finisher. Like you, and I remember once I could see the flags, I was like, you just go. And the photos are insane. The difference. It was like, seven hundredths of a second that I beat Louise by and it's literally just in that final like 
push to the end. And when it finished, like my heart rate is like, who right now? But like when it finished, both of us were kind of like looking like we didn't fully know. Like there was this moment of, I'm not quite sure. And then I realized, and then she realized, and then it's also like heartbreaking. There's part of me that's like, oh my gosh. And then, because it was for a gold medal. And um, which actually, so it was live streamed, but um, they had different age groups in there. So my family, everyone who I knew watched it thought it was for the bronze medal. So, which was also equally amazing. But then I've since seen this incredible footage um, a Polish athlete took from the sidelines. And you can see what I was talking about, all the Aussie team, but the British British supporters are there as well. And they're like, come on. And there's this moment when it ends when the Aussie people knew that I won, but the British people have like looked at the the time scoreboard and had this, oh, like so close. It was like so close. But it was just such like this wild thing because like I genuinely never thought that would happen. And Mikey, the captain, he was always like, see what happens when you back yourself, like yeah. kind of thing. And I think it just it, it put all of that training that I had done into that moment and just I was really present but I was also really relaxed. Mm, like yeah. it was just the difference of being relaxed. I'm on. so glad that that 400 was on the second day. Oh, my gosh. Because when we'd spoken after the first day yeah. and you were saying how nervous you were. Yeah. Just to, like, know what to expect. I yes. think there's a lot to be said for the, re- like, to be able to relax into a situation when you know what to expect. Yeah, I had no idea. Like, even just putting on a race suit for swimming, yeah. I had no idea that that is, like, a 30-minute thing. <laughs> it is really hard. It's the almost smaller the better. <laughs> it's almost harder Primitive. than the swimming itself. <laughs> but, like, I just, I didn't do swimming at school as a runner, so I had no idea. We've swapped. Yeah. I was a swimmer. It's true. We're now I'm a runner. You're a runner and a swimmer and a biker. You do everything. Oh, not quite. But no, it's true. We have swapped. Um, But yeah, it was just this incredible experience. And then like my sister-in-law has this footage of mum watching the medal ceremony and they'd called the bronze and my mum was like, oh, like it must be a different race. So she mustn't have got it. And oh, then, mothers. oh my God, when they, when they said, um, like Emma, like my name is Emma Schofield. Um, no, that's my maiden name, but Emma <laughs> O'Neill. When they said Emma O'Neill, um, my mum's just like burst into Aww. tears. Like it's the sweetest thing. That's and it was so nice. like, I was just genuinely so, I mean, I would have been excited with anything cause it was a great race, but it was one of those things where it, it couldn't have got any better. And you were just excited to be there. I was. Like, yeah. It was just like I was. three medals. Yeah, well, I did end up. Then I got the bronze in the try. Um, in the try. Um, but I feel like it probably the swimming was actually. I didn't factor in how two days of competitive swimming would actually be so taxing. So I was quite tired. Didn't you do a five day fun run in there as well? At the start, at the start, oh, at, just the, at start. the start, <laughs> big deal. But um, yeah, I so I definitely didn't feel as fresh as I would typically like to have felt for a triathlon, and I did have some cramping issues and things. And it was amazing to get that. But I still, I think, if I had to only pick one highlight from the games, it would probably be that gold medal and just the fight that both of us gave. Like I think that's the thing. Like we were both, neither of us could have given any more. Like mm. and that was that was what was so amazing yeah. is like not only had we both been through different health journeys to get there and have had to fight a lot to actually be alive and be there, it was then this like physical representation of that fight. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it was very, very emotional in a great way. But yeah, just also seeing all the other incredible athletes of all different ages, of all different transplantation, like transplants. It was just phenomenal to 
you know, you get to be like, hey, what, what transplant have you had? Or when did you have that? You know, it's like. What do you got? Yeah. What do you, <laughs> show me your scar. And, yeah. So um, like what meds do you take or do they? Yeah. It was just yeah. nice to be able to be talking about, you know, it's kind of like I guess when you're a mum and you join a mother's group, it yeah. kind of felt like felt like that. And Except it was a lot more niche. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. A lot more exciting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's just amazing to have that opportunity and such a proud feeling to wear green and gold mm. and like that's very be, special. Yeah. Mm. And so. your kids must have been incredibly proud they were they watched from afar and actually I remember my son saying something like oh we couldn't eat. we thought you were coming back with a participation certificate <laughs> and then you got a the bronze medal you, yeah but then he's like I did never think you'd get a gold like he was just like blown like blown um, out of the amazing. water so yeah no amazing opportunity and uh look forward to the Aussie games next year and hopefully I can go to the Germany games in 2025 you'll so, go manifest yeah, yes I mean yes it's happening yes yes what it is city, happening it's city? in German in Dresden in yeah. Germany and what city so, are the Australian ones in they have not decided yet Ooh, so stay tuned I don't know. <laughs> yeah all the coasts like one of the coasts oh Gold Coast yeah. be nice Gold Coast Sunny, Sunny Coast. Coast yeah we could record a live app watching her oh, yeah oh, we could do a little commentation <laughs> we could <laughs> on the sideline. like no pressure or anything uh, i think this perfectly segues into our last few questions as someone who has overcome many hurdles to achieve some really epic things what would your advice be to others with really big goals mm, i think it's just really actually about breaking it down for me into manageable chunks so it can be very overwhelming to have like a big, I can find it really overwhelming to be like, I have this thing that I want to go to. Like I want to go to the World Transplant Games or I want to do a triathlon. I'm coming to it at the moment because I'm doing the Noosa triathlon and I haven't been doing triathlon training. I've just been exercising. Alex wants to sign up for a triathlon, but I know she's too nervous to say because oh, she I doesn't am. want to put it out there. Oh, say it, put it out okay. there. So I actually, it's really funny because Tegan and I spoke about her helping me achieve a goal, you know, in the next year working yeah. together and covering it on the podcast. And I started having a look at a few things and I was like, oh, maybe I'll try like a sprint triathlon. Yeah. And then I listened to you on the podcast and I was like texting Tegan and I'm like, oh my God, like that's kind of how you started. And then I heard you talking about the one that was a little bit smaller as well. Yeah. And then I was like, you should do that triathlon pink. I think it would be like October or November. Yeah, I, we'll have a look. We can do it together. Well, I was feeling very. We could do a team. Yes, I was feeling very positive. And do, it all. Feeling sick, do it all. Do it all. You team. can do it all. You can do it all. It's in a pool. It's like it's actually a great one to start because yeah. you can see the bottom of the pool. And I have a lot of experience swimming at Chandler as a child. But yes, so I think for me, it's about not getting overwhelmed with the big goal and breaking it down into manageable chunks. So in the lead up to the games, I had this great calendar where I broke everything down and I broke it down into like, okay, on this day, I just need to do a swim or a swim and a run, or I need to meal prep. Like it doesn't have to be sports specific. It can Mm. be anything specific. But for me, I find just breaking things down and not thinking of like, how am I going to get to the end goal? But like, what steps am I going to do to get there? Because sometimes you can get super overwhelmed with this end goal and, I also tend to be a bit of a procrastinator. So like, oh, like, oh, okay, now is the time I have to start training for the Noosa Triathlon because if it's any later, it's not going to happen. But just breaking it down into manageable chunks. And I think it goes back to when I first really got into exercise on dialysis, it was that if I can get out of bed, like that was me breaking it down into a chunk. 
And so, yeah, for me, it's just breaking it down into manageable things because then you feel like you've achieved something, right? So you're like, oh, I've done this swim set. I know I can do that, so I'll do another one. It sort of creates this momentum. That focus on the next stair and not the whole staircase. Yes, that's... I put lots... Emmy is one of my nutrition clients and I... I tend to have a lot of random comments and quotes about motivation. Yeah, (laughs) That makes me feel better because I do feel like I'm starting at zero and it is really scary to go from that too. Yes, but but like you don't need to do like an Olympic or a sprint distance first. Some people do like to jump into that, but you could do one of the smaller ones and they're all triathlons. I can't remember what podcast I heard that on, but I remember being, oh, it's just a tiny, it's still a swim, bike and run. Yeah. Can you share what your kids say about triathlons? about the trying. Yeah. It's a try. So both my kids have done try. They call it like the try. It's just about trying. It's a try. Okay. Athlon, like T-R-Y. T-R-Y. <laughs> and I don't think that's try. cute. That's it's so cute. I've and like, heard. so my son had done, he, when I did my first triathlon post-transplant, it was one of the smaller enticer distance. Ollie wanted to sign up to do one too. Wow. And so we did my first one back on the same day. Oh. He didn't do the swim because he wasn't up to swim. Like he wasn't swimming then. And then I think he did one more where again, he didn't do the swim. And last year, they both said they wanted to do one. So I didn't sign up to one that day because I just wanted to focus on them. And I thought it was a 50-metre swim. It was a 100-metre swim at Raby Bay. Now, they have never swum more than 25 metres. So Ollie went first. And once I realised, like, they're off. There's, like, nothing I can do. I'm just like, do not drown. (laughs) Do not drown. Like, I can see Ollie is giving a go. There's giants next to him. And then he starts swimming over to the lifeguard. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my gosh, is he okay? Oh, he's going to be pulled in. Anyway, he just wanted to check he was going the right way. So then he kept going. So then he's, he's at the end. I didn't get to watch him go to his bike because then Isla's jumping in. Now she was only seven at the time. So she's jumped in. You can't see the bottom. Like it's at Raby Bay. It's like murky water, right? I didn't even know you could swim there. I mean, I don't think you do normally. (laughs) It's just on a triathlon. But she's jumped in, can't touch the bottom, can't see the bottom. And Never has had to tread water before. And I can just see her bobbing. I'm like, oh, my God, I feel so sick. One of the girls wasn't getting in, so they were, like, waiting and trying to encourage her. So they were, like, treading water for, like, over a minute, like, just treading. Anyway, went off. She had the most amazing swim. Honestly, has ne- couldn't – they didn't even swim 25 metres where they were. They'd stop halfway. She was smashing it. Anyway, she got to the end and she got kicked in the face. Oh. She's come out and she's run really proud, but then it's like as soon as she's locked my eyes, she's like, I'm done. I'm oh. undone. I'm coming undone. And I was like, it's okay and you're not allowed in transition as a parent. So I'm, like, trying to comfort her from afar. And it was this moment I was like, I don't – I want to push you because I don't want you to regret, but I also don't want you to have a negative experience that you're never going to want to do this again. Is that parenting in a nutshell? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 100% From someone that doesn't have kids. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so I was like, it's just about trying. You've done an amazing job. You've never, it was 100 metres. Like, I didn't know it was that far. And then Ollie's come in off the bike and their bikes were next to each other and he was like, We'll just do the run together, Isla. And we'll just do it together. It's a triathlon. Anyway, so she just skipped the bike leg and they ran together. And it was honestly one of my proudest moments because, like, that's huge. And I tell them that all the time when they're getting upset about simple things. I'm like, you can do hard things. You jumped in that water. There's grown-ups who would not jump in that water. (laughs) You cannot see or touch the bottom. You'd never swum that far. Like, 
that is like this experience for the rest of your life, you know, you can do hard things. And it was also this super reflection of like, it's because they've seen me do that. Like they, you know, they, they had that moment with me because they'd come so many times to watch me jump in that murky water. And I think, yeah, it was just this beautiful moment. And I just love how they call it the try. Yeah, that is. I'm going to think of that. I love the mantra. I can do hard things. Yeah. I've said that to myself on many a run. Well, there's a podcast. Is um, that literally what it's called? Glennon Doyle and Wombat's wife. It's is it called We Can Do Hard Things? I don't I'm know. pretty sure that it sounds is. great. And it's it's all about it. you would love it. It's about yeah. athletes and stuff that do hard mm. things. Can I tell you my biggest fear about doing a triathlon? <clears throat> Twice in my life I have been riding a bike and the handlebars have fallen <gasps> off. What? <laughs> so that's <laughs> It's okay, so a really niche problem. It's niche. a niche. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> I know. I love sharks. I've got tatties of sharks. No, so when I was eight, Santa put together my bike and the next day, so Christmas Day, I was riding my bike and I lived in Jimboomba and there was this really steep, loose gravel hill and I'm riding down as fast as I can and then all of a sudden I'm like, and then the handlebars fell off and I flipped and <gasps> skidded the whole way down on my back didn't ride again yeah fair 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 switched to like rollerblades and then I think I was about 19 and I was living on the sunshine coast and everyone had those cool bikes yeah I was like all right I'm gonna try it again bought myself a bike and my stepdad helped me put it together and he was like oh you finish off the handlebars Al I've got to go I was like okay no worries checking them checking them it's all good don't want it to happen again and I'm just gonna go take it around the cul-de-sac and I felt really confident. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go take it down the main road. And as I'm riding, I like hit a rock. And as I turned really hard, the handlebars fell off again. And I fell onto my face. And I've never, or I mean, I rode a bike in Amsterdam. But that was a different situation. But there's, I have not gotten on a bike since. There's a very easy solution to this. <laughs> Don't build your own bike. <laughs> and go to a bike shop and make sure the handlebars are on. <laughs> We, Rhett and I bought our um, beach cruises for each other for Christmas, two Christmases ago, and as we were leaving, the guy came up was like, I can put that together for you for 10 bucks," and we're like, nah, we've got this. <laughs> it's pretty hard. I've never, yeah. I've never put a bike together. I, I buy my bikes put together. Yeah. Yes. That's and actually idea. having to pull it apart to take it to Perth, it's a, f- a friend of my brother's, he's like an amazing bike maker. I had to actually be like, can you teach me? I do not know mm. how to pull this mm. bike apart but you, you can solve that problem and I'll just get, people to get a bike from a someone. bike shop if yeah. there's one tangible lesson to take away from this episode it's paid to get your bike put together <laughs> or just don't get check. alex to do yeah, it just don't. yeah or santa <laughs> <laughs> or do what i do when i do triathlons and do a team triathlon and well, i just do the swim and the run i was gonna say you could do that or you could do someone one of the, the aquathons where it's just like a swim and a run oh is yeah. that what an aquathon is yeah. oh, for some reason i was trying to think about that the other day and i was calling it a biathlon but i'm like i don't <laughs> no, think, that I think that's it's right. an aquathon oh that's cool. yeah yeah that yeah. makes sense because i'm quite nervous on the bike obviously about my kidney i don't want to fall off and it mm. is definitely something i'm trying to we should all mentally do an block. aquathon too. Yeah. Yeah. We, could. Sure. we could yeah I'm, yeah. But I think you should look at the triathlon pink. Yeah, I will. The only thing that gives me a little bit of hope that I can do it is that I love open ocean swimming. Oh, well, that's can you give me work. some of that? Because that's... I love I, it. Well, yeah. the last... Tri- so after the games, I got this notification to say, oh, you're doing the Morton Bay try, and I'd forgotten. And I was. it was a bigger distance. It was a one-kilometre open water swim, which I'd only ever done 750, and a 30K bike. 
and then a seven and a half K run. I wasn't up for the running. So we changed to a team. Greg, my husband did the run. We called ourselves Spare Parts, which I just think is brilliant um, as a name, but it was my longest open water swim and it was horrific conditions at Morton Bay that day. While I was waiting for my wave to start, people were being rescued and brought in and I'd never seen that in a try before. It was wetsuit approved, so like 95% of people were in wetsuits. I was not in a wetsuit and I was very nervous because it was so choppy, but it was the first swim that I was like, you just got a gold in swimming. Yes, you, you can, can do it. swim. And so I just really just took my time and found my groove. And it was the first one I enjoyed, but I would love to do more. So now that I know you're down for it, we can go do it. There's actually a group on Saturdays that do an ocean swim in Broad Beach. Okay. The group. I'm in their group. Are you, have you been going? No. Okay. I'm just cool. in the group. I mean, it's winter. Yeah. It's yeah. Winter. They, do it. they do it all year round. I know, but we could maybe start in spring. <laughs> but <laughs> I'd begin to start in spring. So just to round out this episode, which has been so incredibly inspirational and informative to learn from you, Emmy, how has your experiences uh, with your kidney disease and your transplant and the transplant games, how has that affected how you show up or how you want to be as a parent? Oh, that's a good one to end on. I think the biggest thing for me is that just showing both my children that anything is possible and to not let your circumstances define you and giving things a go. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you have to have huge success in inverted commas of how society deems things successful, but just, yeah, giving something a go no matter what's happening in your life. And I think I really do try to show them that. And I think even just talking before about their triathlon is that they did, I think that kind of was one of those moments where it cemented what is important for me and just there's that. And also I think the transplant, it did change me in the way that I view gratitude and I I feel like I always thought I was a very grateful person but something just changes when you have, someone has passed away so that you can be here and that is never lost on me and I think that, there's a lot of things that used to worry me before, like what people thought of me or little things that would stress me out. And sometimes they still do, but every day they're getting less and less. And I feel like that gratitude towards myself and towards those around me and the world around me is just continuing to grow. And I think that showing the kids that those little moments, like us being together is really important and being kind to myself and being kind to them is really important so that they yeah, that they learn that, you know, you can have all the things in the world, but really there's nothing more important than your health because that enables you to be with your family and to be with those that you care about. So yeah, just showing them through, I guess, how I try and live every day. That's incredible. Boom. Mic drop. You're done (laughs) here. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks been. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being so open, sharing your story as well. You're very welcome. We had the best time today recording with Emmy. We're so thankful that she was able to come on the podcast and also take our photos for the little podcast tile. So we're really appreciative of that. 
There are going to be heaps of resources in the show notes today with everything about organ donation and how you can sign up for that. So be sure to check it out. Make sure that you subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening and have a look at our Instagram page at Bread and Better Podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week and you'll hear us on the pod again next time. We'll be here. Bye. (laughs) Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Productions.